profit is not cash. I'm conscious saying I'm going to launch a Facebook ad today. Everyone can only handle racing. I feel like we need to stop putting ourselves in restrictions. What do you actually want out of your business? You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Galilla Springer. For your industry, by your industry. The culture of a workplace refers to the attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs being lived day in, day out in the business. Businesses all have a different culture with its own specific set of values and beliefs. But if you have a toxic culture, your days of plain sailing through it are likely to be coming to an end. That is, if they haven't already. According to a recent study by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology across various industries, toxic work culture is, in 2022, the number one reason people cite for leaving their jobs. And the aftermath of the pandemic makes it so that people don't have to settle for an unpleasant or unhealthy work environment. There are plenty of other jobs to go for. A professional hair, beauty, or spa business is only as strong as the team that holds it up. If you want to make your salon stand out for all the right reasons and hire a great team that lasts, offering a professional, people and growth focused, rewarding place to work is an absolute must. You've probably spent some time considering how your clients feel when they visit your salon, but have you considered the same thing for your employees? Ahead of our presentation on workplace toxicity at the Salon Owner Summit 2023, we have the pleasure of wrapping the year up with multi-award winning and self-made entrepreneur Sophia Hilton for a chat about personal values, creativity, managing staff, and well, you guessed it, toxic workplace cultures. Well, I think what is most topical right now is that there's a big financial pressure on all of us. Like, how is that... Um, affecting us right now. And I think as we move into next year, I think things are going to get tougher. And I think our business owners' focus is going to be so much on the money that we're going to really forget the deterioration that we can make on our own teams as we push them to produce. And that's fear. When we're acting from this mindset of fear, a scarcity mindset, we start to make decisions that are not really best for humans. If I say this right now and people are listening, they're like, well, no, actually, that staff member was awful and I'm, I'm a really good person and they, they find it really hard to identify the responsibility on them for that. But I would say there's some things that you might be doing that you wouldn't even class as toxic. Just because you're not being mean and you're not gossiping or bitching, it doesn't mean that you're not contributing to a lack of clarity um, that can really make people miserable. To touch on intergenerational management, this idea that young people are lazy, they don't want to work, you can't get them as good as they used to be. It's just deteriorating the relationship. You need to learn about what makes these young people tick. Sophia Hilton owns various businesses spanning across services, products, business development, education, mentoring, and social media. She launched the Not Another brand in 2016, which completely disrupted the beauty industry. And it all started with Not Another Salon, which is now known worldwide for being the fastest growing salon on Instagram in the UK. Their high shine, professional, vivid colors and unique techniques went viral. Press, influencers and London's trendsetters couldn't get enough, which eventually led Sophia to create and launch Not Another Academy. The Academy is and has been fully booked and teaching worldwide since its launch. 
Amongst other things, she's now also launching a business course, a podcast, and business ventures aside, the queen of color is dedicated to continuing to grow her businesses while using her voice and platform for good. She's a mother of one and along her husband is actively educating other women and families that gender has nothing to do with career success, family dynamics, and the relationship between the two. She's become known for challenging the status quo, addressing hard-hitting subjects around mental health, family dynamics, and internet trolling. Without further ado, welcome to Forest FM, Sophia. Today feels like a full circle moment. I, I happened to look back through our, our emails for your bio and I realized that we, well, I say we, myself and my co-hosts at the time, had been chatting to your team already back in 2019. So listen, I'm just really, really grateful for your time today. I'm super excited to meet you in person at the Salon Owner Summit in January. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, and a long time coming, sorry. <laughs> It's just great. Yeah. How are you today? I hear you're starting your own podcast. Very exciting project. Yeah, actually today, literally today that we're doing this, I am launching my own Not Another Business podcast. I always said I wouldn't do one. I couldn't really work out what it was that I wanted to do that would feel like unique enough. And I just I just yeah. didn't know where to go with it. And I guess it's one of those things that when it when you finally you find something that you think is going to be at least adding to the world, like in, in you know, in, in a more positive way than, yeah. So I'm, I, I'm really excited about it. It's, uh, it's been a fun day today. Well, Sophia, I'd love to get into the episode today by first referencing your Meet Sophia Hilton, aka Boss Lady video that you have embedded on your website. Um, in that video, I'm not sure if you remember what you say in it, but I, I, I listened to it yesterday as a refresher and something you say something along the lines of, you're not saving lives, you're not Mother Teresa, but that you are helping mm. lives. And today you're not only helping clients smile that bit wider, walk that bit stronger and sleep that bit better, if I may quote you, but you're also doing that for staff and industry professionals who take your courses. So where did this value of helping others come from and have you always been driven by that? What an epic question to start with. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know where it's been in from school time. I can't really recognize it. And then, but probably being from about 16, um, I started getting interested in like charity, you know, work and helping people and stuff like that. Um, just basically through like watching documentaries on TV and learning a bit more really? about the world. Yeah. I watched a documentary called, this is so off topic, but it's important, called Bulgaria's Abandoned Children. And it was about children with disabilities who live in care homes that are very like, uh, Uh, not looked after, basically. And I can still see that documentary to this day. It pulled at my heart so much that mm. I think everything I did, especially I do quite a lot in the charity sector as well, everything that I'd done from then um, was because of this one documentary. But if you talk more about the salon and my education, I would say that's just through like a just a general bringing meaning to my own pain. You know, mm. all of the things that I have been through in my life and all the pain that I've felt, it feels worthless. It feels just, it means nothing until I bring it meaning. And the only way that I can bring meaning to my pain is by helping other people through that. And for me, it right. like justifies anything that's ever happened to me when I can transfer that into something better. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that makes absolute sense. It reminds me, well, I mean, you know, the, the salon hair beauty industry is a very creative one. It reminds me of, you know, you know when, when someone becomes a painter, for instance, and transfers that pain, gives it meaning into, you know, whatever they create on a canvas, for instance. You're just doing that, but, you know, <laughs> with people, essentially. Yeah, I mean, as, as simple as I've probably been trolled for everything there is possibly to be trolled for online, But the best part of being trolled, would you believe there's a best part? (laughs) The best part, no, that's not a sentence we hear very often, is because I've been open about that and spoken about that, Mm -hmm. is I get all these messages from people all the time being like, it's almost like my content didn't, uh, my content didn't, uh, they didn't notice my content at the time about me talking about being trolled. And then one day they got trolled. Right. And then suddenly they messaged me and they're like, oh my God, like this is happening to me. And they knew that I was the first person to go to because subconsciously they'd seen my content or they knew it had happened to me or they'd seen that I was like open to talk about it. And then the next thing is they want to talk to me about it. So mm. I feel like sometimes when people look at my content, it's not necessarily relevant yet, but then as soon as it's relevant, they come and they talk to me <laughs> and that makes that makes all the pain that I went through in that moment like mean something and it brings me like so much happiness well that's amazing I'm glad that you can find happiness in in that way you know because otherwise I mean it, it's just it, all it, shit yeah, seriously <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah Well, I I guess like it's a good segue, like just the trolling part. Like I think that like something that people were saying to you um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but before you opened Not Another Another Salon, I believe that you kept hearing that if you were to open a salon, you'd have to lose your creativity, which I to Mm -hmm. me feels like, you know, kind of contradictory. Like I I just don't understand how that would happen um, because the industry is so creative. So Mm. and it's obviously like not something that you've lost through, you know, opening up your salon and, and being where you're at today. So because, because it's like, it feels so conflicting to me, can you take a guess at why people were saying this to you? Uh, hmm, great question. I think I was saying it to me. Mm, really? <laughs> I felt that, yeah, I think I felt that as well, actually, when I really think about it. I was assistant manager at my old salon for three weeks and I gave the job back. I was like, I don't want to do this. Stop. <laughs> uh, and my boss was like, oh, these hairbrushes are covered in hair. And I was like, wow, this is so dull. Like, I don't want nothing to do with this. Put me on a photo shoot. Um, and then, yeah, I guess in some ways when you take on the salon, it is true. You do lose your creativity because you want to be out there doing more hands-on stuff but you're stuck in the office and you're you're in paperwork and you're you're doing the math and you're you are pulled away from a lot of the hands-on stuff right however what I would say is I'm a little bit less of an artist but I am more of a creative yeah so I'm not like hands-on painting as much as my team But creativity and marketing is the most fun thing in the world. Even creating a leaflet when we are doing a promotion or a marketing campaign or how I design the inside of the salon or the client journey and experience. Absolute creativity, absolute expression. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I would probably retract it and say, you can lose a bit of the artist inside you if you're not hands-on anymore. Right, that Um, makes sense. 
Yeah, but the creativity, if you're a creative person, is going to come out whether you like it or not. <laughs> you know, that, that is there. And a, a naturally creative person is going to avoid the stuff they don't want to do. And they're going to keep wanting to do the stuff they want to do. So um, I feel so creative. Yeah, I really do. That's amazing. And I mean, I'm sure that the podcast, even just creating the podcast, for instance, is, you know, another outlet in which you can explore more of that creativity in a different kind of medium. Yeah, but I think once, because I'm the ambassador of quite a few brands now, <laughs> my face is on everything. <laughs> and um, I, I have to shoot for them like a couple of times a year. And shooting is not a big part of my career anymore. Right. Um, it's something this sounds really terrible, but something I do that is part of my contract, but not something I would like be wanting to do at the weekend just for fun, right? Right, yeah. But when I get on set and I, because a lot of people don't know, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good stylist. I know how to move hair and I know how to, you know, like uh, feel hair, not just color. When I'm doing that in that moment, I'm like, oh, I miss this. I miss just working with my hands. I miss just, yeah, being the artist. But look, we, we can't actually do it all. In fact, when we do try to do it all, it makes us miserable. So I think uh, when I'm in that moment, I, I cherish the moment and then I leave it again. It makes life so much more enjoyable when you're able to find... I guess like the the enjoyment in the little moments and just be present in those moments and then move on and be mm. present in something else after. Yeah, I think it's very, uh, we, we often want to make something more. We go, oh, I like this, so I need more of it. Yeah. But it's okay to say I like this in that quantity that it is in my year yeah. and I will just cherish it where, where, where it is. Exactly. In fact, when we put more of it, it makes us miserable. Have you ever done that? You're like, oh, I yes. love this thing. And then you do so much of the thing and it's just not fun anymore. Oh yeah. I've done that many, many times, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. as much as like you didn't want to lose your creativity, um, I'm sure that, you know, with your team, you don't want to stifle their own creativity. But, you know, when you're working in a salon, you're working with the vision of the salon, you're working with a certain, you know, the customer journey, for instance. So in your experience as a salon owner, have you found it challenging to be a creative managing creatives? And if so, in what way? One of the hardest things in Not Another Salon has been the fact that we are, we appear to be a very creative salon. And we are, in fact, I would say my team are probably have the biggest portfolio and the widest range of things that they can do from natural to non-natural. But I've still been accused so many times over the years of like stifling people's creativity. And I'm really? like, wow, yeah. And I'm like, Really? Like, have you seen the place? I mean, okay, now, seven years later, there's so many vivid salons and big creative salons. But seven years ago, there wasn't many of us, yeah. um, you know. So for me, I felt like I was giving people this amazing platform, but I had a vision of branding. And that vision of branding had to be held safe. Yeah. And that was because there were so many people doing vivid colors at the time, and it was quite trashy it was very this is not in the states but certainly in the uk we had not nailed 
quality and polish. It was still very grungy. And so the one, re- it's not like we're the first people to do bright colors, Jesus Christ, so many people had done them. But the reason why we were gaining traction within the industry is because we were doing something on repeat. And that's what branding is, it's doing something on repeat, right? Yeah. And we were constantly creating simplistic styles, very polished, very elegant, super wearable. There wasn't a hundred haircuts in one. It wasn't three million My Little Pony colors. It was like she could go to the office tomorrow. And that was what was making us famous, right? So when I've got a staff member that's like, oh, I want to do this thing and it's off brand, I'm in a difficult position now because I want you to be you. But also if we don't stay in the same direction consistently enough for long enough, uh-huh. we are not going to make like lasting impression because anything that's worth anything is not a bit of everything, is it? It's something. Yeah, 100%. And this was the problem. Yeah, this has been the problem. Not, I would probably say with like 5% of the time, like very, very little. Um, I've even had one staff member so pissed off that she was restrained, which is so interesting because, as I said, compared to most companies, <laughs> we're so wide. But on the day that she left and I wasn't there, she fucked someone's hair up just to piss me off. Like, I have a rule in the salon where basically you only do something that is maintainable, right? If, right. if, if, the, if it doesn't look good at home, if after she's washed it a few times, it's not going to last, it's not fair because we charge really high prices, right? Right. And when I saw this picture come up on Instagram, I was like, oh my God, that's going to look like shit in a matter of like a week. And I kind of panicked for the client. And I called up the client and I said, hey, I'm just checking in, like, just wondering how your hair washed. And then she just started crying and she was like, oh my God, it looks terrible. I didn't know what to do, blah, blah. I said, right, no worries. And I came back in, I did like a 10 hour color correction. And, uh, you know, in that way, I'm going to stand my ground and say, you know, it's not just about us being artists. It's about us Mm -hmm. giving value for money to that client. And a lot of that is ego when you want to just do something mad for Instagram, when actually someone's paying you 300 pounds, it better look good in a month. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 100%. So this is, these, these, are the, these are the battles I've had. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that sense, like, have you ever felt like allowing your staff to, like, to have their creativity, like, blossom in, in the way that they would like um, it to blossom? What, has that, like, ever resulted in you feeling like the vision for your salon, like the branding of your salon and yourself as an owner were being kind of let down? Uh, what a fantastic question. You are excellent. (laughs) (laughs) You're so good. I would say that a lot of the reasons why I may have restrained people from doing different things in the early days was uh, an an anxiousness, a self-consciousness, a -hmm. worry about what the industry might think of me, how that might reflect on me. And... uh, you know, that parents do that with their kids, don't they? Like, oh, you need to look smart because the other mums will see me. When you're trying to make an impact in the industry, right? And your peers are looking at you and what your team do, and that's all reflecting on you. And then your team is doing something that looks like it came out of college or whatever. Like for me, that's reflecting so that I'm thinking, oh, my peers are going to go, oh God, look what they're doing at that salon. Bearing in mind, my salon already had a bit of a reputation where people thought at first 
that we were just a load of kids messing around and that actually didn't have much longevity and that we didn't we wouldn't be able to get a high price point and that we wouldn't last and of course they were wrong but to take some responsibility and I'm sure there's some salon owners listening now that have felt this that the fact that you feel like it's a reflection on you that's about you babe Mm. Like that is your that is that is your issue that you need to just go to little therapy. You need to talk <laughs> through like why you care so much about what other people think. Work through that. Um, I would say in the last few years, I've allowed my staff to experiment way more, and they've allowed the company to grow into directions creatively that I wouldn't have done myself. So, would I change things though? No. Yeah. I would still have done it this way around. I still would have stayed tight in one direction for a good four years and then start to veer off in different directions once you've got your foundation. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that makes absolute sense. So like what was what did you find was key to letting letting go, I guess, a little bit more? Um, like overcoming that like that fear of, you know, the the the, the peers looking at, you know what you're doing and, and having that be like a reflection of you directly necessarily. Wow. You really get me. Um, just a lot of self-work, I think. Mm. Two things. One, I made the mark that I wanted to make. So then I had the freedom to move. Once I'd gained the respect, um, and I think coming in, because I came into the industry from a vivid perspective and just to clarify, I do vivids, but I wouldn't class myself as a vivid artist. Like I, they're part of my, vivids is part of my portfolio, is not, is not what I'm all about. Right. But we made our mark in that area. And once we've made that mark in that area, and I've proved that it could be a high price point, that we could do good quality, all of those things. And that actually in, in seven years in this country, the whole industry changed. There's so much vivid work going on in the country. Once I proved myself, I felt like I could just take the foot off the pedal a bit and be like, you know what, Sophia, you, you, you can't over control anymore. Just let it be. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still find it a challenge? And I'm trying to be really honest. Yeah. No, not too much now. That's good. Yeah. No, I don't. Um, yeah. It's rare that something walks out the salon and I'm like, <laughs> that's a bit disgusting. <laughs> um, and then usually what will happen is a staff member will come into the office and they'll be like, Sophia, just to let you know, like, she really wanted that. <laughs> I like, I know. And I'm like, it's okay. Let, you know, like, let it go, let it go, let it go. Yeah. But um, yeah, I wouldn't change the way I've done it, but uh, I've learned a lot on the way. Right. So, yeah. Sophia, you're going to be speaking at the Salon Owner Summit in January, and I know that you will be speaking a little bit about intergenerational management and toxicity in the workplace, which I think is two things that are very top of mind for people uh, nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have you spill all the beans. I know that, you know, <laughs> there there needs to be an element of, a you know, surprise and, and just like learning on the spot there. But if you were to drop maybe a few insights and maybe a prompt for reflection, for homework for attendees, for instance, mm -hmm. what would be the top three insights that you wouldn't pass up on sharing now? And what would be the piece that you would have salon owners reflect on when it comes to intergenerational management? Well, I think what is most topical right now 
is that there's a big financial pressure on all of us. And what I'm recognizing in my own life is that when I've been under a huge financial pressure, I have not been the best version of myself. <laughs> um, and nor have my team. So the more pressure they're on to produce, the more pressure I put them to produce, the more we're panicking about paying our bills, it's bringing out traits that are not very good. And so I think the topic of toxicity in the workplace, um, and that comes into intergenerational management as well, how a 16-year-old looks at toxicity is different to how a six-year-old will look at toxicity. Yeah. Like, how is that um, affecting us right now? And I think as we move into next year, I think things are going to get tougher. And I think our business owners' focus is going to be so much on the money that we're going to really forget the deterioration that we can make on our own teams as we push them to produce. And that's fear. Mm. When we are acting from this mindset of fear, a scarcity mindset, we start to make decisions that are not really best for humans. Yeah. And it's the humans that we need. We're in a human industry, right? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. We can't operate without them. Like, not yet. So uh, what would be the sort of takeaways here? Before you see me in January, I'd love you to start reflecting on this how do you walk through the door in the morning when you walk into your business? Like, are you the kind of boss that walks through the door and all of your team's eyes light up? Mm. She's here, yeah? Like, oh, hi, you know, hey, they see you. Or, or are you the kind of boss that, hey, and you just kind of scurry away? Like, what impact do you make? Because I promise you, there's nothing more important than how you're greeted. And how you're greeted is definitely based on how you are with your team in general, but the actual greeting that you make yep. makes a big impact. So, hey, how you doing? What are you working on right now? Hey, how's your day? Yeah. Oh my God, the sun is shining, everyone. We're gonna have a great day, right? Like, I don't mean to over-Americanize this, but are you coming in and sprinkling in some joy? Or are you walking in and sprinkling in the, oh, who didn't do the washing up, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, can I talk to you later? So they have to wait three hours wondering what you're about to <laughs> say. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah. Um, so if one thing I would say is, can you think about, I don't know, what the one thing that I do a lot when I'm really stressed is I wander around the salon frowning. <laughs> Although I have, I, have, I have Botox now, so you can't tell. <laughs> um, but sometimes I've recognized that my team think I might be mad at them when actually I'm just really in my head today. Mm. I'm, I'm so sorry. No, 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 it's not you. It's not you. Sorry. There's just, there's a lot going on back of house. But so often your team are picking up on this negativity and it's not even about them often. Yeah. And then that's putting them in an anxious mood. And then someone borrows their comb and then they're like, where the fuck's my comb? And then this like anxiety flows through the leader. So... That's what I would say. Let's really think about our conscious behavior with our teams before then. And then I will take you on the journey when I see you. In January, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Very excited for that. And I think you, you really touched upon something that I think is is so, so, so important and that we can often forget is, you know, the, the difference you made in the two examples, taking in, like a genuine interest in what your people are doing or, you know, what they're working on versus just like, identifying or highlighting the things that they didn't do that even yeah. just that you know yeah I think um another great activity is kind of it's hard to do this unbiasedly but try and monitor yourself in the day for how many times you pick up on someone not doing something right to how often you pick up on them doing something 
right, like not right or right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not suggesting that anyone goes around being mean, but yeah, of course. <laughs> we, we have a negativity bias, right? We, we are six times more likely to remember something negative than something positive. So someone has to hear something six times more in order to balance that out. Um, which means that I know there's a lot of talk at the moment about toxic, positiv toxic positivity, and mm -hmm. I get that. But actually, if you look at the negativity bias uh, and... and uh, uh, an imbalance of positive to negative is necessary to even just come out straight, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I get what you I mean. So. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So listen, perfect segue. This might come as no surprise to you, but I was looking at some stats on toxic workplace cultures. And here's some things that I found from a 2021 UK survey run by Instaprint. Seven out of 10 Brits shared that they've worked in a toxic environment at some stage of their career. 56% mm -hmm. said that they were likely to quit their job if they felt like workplace culture wasn't up to scratch. Wow. And that was especially true for workers identifying as women with almost 10% more than people identifying as men. Yeah. What comes to mind when you hear that? Like obviously salons and spas can easily become a gossipy environment, which actually, according to the results of that same survey, scores pretty high in the key red flags of toxic environments. Yeah, I mean... Ultimately, um, there's a very uh, powerful uh, statement, which is um, by someone very, very special that says, uh, oh, God, it's going to go from my head now. Um, the first rule of leadership is it's always your fault. And that is from Hopper in A Bug's Life. Mm -hmm. uh, very powerful, <laughs> very powerful. Uh, what animal is he? I don't know. He's like, a, I don't even know. What, like, he's a bug, right? Yeah. Um, so essentially, if you've got toxicity in your company, there's no point blaming the bad apple. It's you. It's always you because you, you are ultimately responsible for these humans. I'm not a big believer in the bad apple, but we will cover that another time. Um, however... If I say this right now and people are listening, they're like, well, no, actually, that staff member was awful and I'm, I'm a really good person and they, they find it really hard to identify the responsibility on them for that. But I would say there's some things that you might be doing that you wouldn't even class as toxic, like your chaotic lack of clarity. <laughs> so you're a creative and you've got this idea and you're going to come in in the morning, you're going to be like, oh my God, we're going to do this thing. And you haven't even considered that they're already fully booked or they've already got all these things in their calendar. And you're just super excited for this new thing. And you're pouring on a little bit more and pouring on a bit more. And, yeah. and then they're like, hey, you know, we need a break. And you're like, oh, like I never had a break in my day. Come on, we're working on it. You know, and these, these like uh, toxic habits that, you know, they've kind of been bred into us by our parents and our grandparents and our own workplaces. And um, all I'm saying here is we need to identify that there are things we're doing that would contribute to a toxic workplace that you would not even recognize necessarily mm -hmm. as... Just because you're not being mean and yeah. you're not gossiping or bitching, it doesn't mean that you're not contributing to a lack of clarity um, that can really make people miserable. And I speak from experience. I have made people miserable. I have made people happy. I have been a hero in some people's stories. I have been a villain in others. Uh, what is important is we reflect, we learn, we move on, and we try to become a better version of ourselves next time. Right. Um, and when I listen to my salon owner friends, when they do nothing but bitch about everyone that ever left without any responsibility to the fact that they might be the common denominator, then, uh, well, then, then they're always going to be bitching and moaning about the same thing. Yeah. 
So, Sophia, when we were talking about the uh, the episode and what angle we were going to take, we were talking about toxicity in the workplace. And you mentioned, without diving into it too deep, you mentioned something about how owners talk about their teams on the day-to-day and the repercussions of that on their teams. Can you expand on that? Because I think you were going to, you know, maybe mention this at the summit, but I, I feel like this is like so important to talk about. Yeah, so the amount of times that I will bump into a business owner, and I won't just say sell owner, I'll say business owner, and I'll say, oh, how's life? You know, how's the team? They're like, yeah, they're all shit. Yeah, they're lazy. You just can't get good people anymore. Like, it's the same, <laughs> the same chat. Mm. And, and you know, what I, not even what I've noticed, what I know is that the way that we choose to look at people is what we're going to see. So, you know, if I walk into my business in the morning and I have this like narrative in my head of like, they're all lazy, they're just out for themselves, they don't care. I'm going to find so much evidence to support that because that's the story I've told myself in my head, right? So I'm going to be like, oh yeah, of course right. they'd leave their plate out. That's that's so typical of them. In fact, I'm sure we do this with our partners, right? We have a narrative in our head. It's no different. <laughs> but when we when we um when we let that go and we we really try to focus on the individual beauty that each person brings and really focus on growing and flourishing that, not getting fixated on those other things, we start to be much happier. I mean, to touch on intergenerational management. This idea that young people are lazy, they don't want to work, you can't get them as good as they used to be, it's just deteriorating the relationship. Because no matter what that young person does now, you've already decided that narrative for them. And you've decided that before that poor kid has even walked into the door and you're not starting a fresh slate. So uh, one thing I want to discuss a bit more in January is like these biases we have about people in general, about young people or even about old people. Oh, they wouldn't be able to manage that. They're a bit older. We have absolute biases. So what do I think about this? I really think that... um, you will see what you want to see. And mm. it is going to start with you. And do you think that, like, you know, business owners who do have that kind of like narrative and speak about their teams in a negative way like that to other people, even if they're not speaking to their teams like that, like on the day, do you feel like it's still feeding into some sort of toxicity that's instilled within, you know, the day to day of the business? Yes, I do. I think it comes down to generational perceptions of the world. So uh, Mm. when someone comes in and asks for a pay rise, like the third time this year, from my generation, I'm going to be like, you cheeky cow, like, do you know how much I do for you? I'm absolutely bled dry. I'm triggered. I'm insulted, you know, where from the perception of a new generation moving up, they're just asking. <laughs> you can say no. Like, you know, that they're just they're just not scared to speak about what they want. But uh my generation and up is gonna get very triggered by that because they they will interpret the actions of the younger person as an insult. And it's not insulting so often. Mm. But we're comparing the workplace to how it was when we were younger. You're like, oh my God, you, you know, you want to sit down while you do the wash up? Well, in my day, we used to do it with a toothbrush, you know? <laughs> and uh, that the comparison is the thief of all joy. Um, and we have to not compare our lives. Um, yeah, we have to, we have to not do that at all. <laughs> 
So how does how does one get out of that negative cycle? Because it is a negative cycle at the end of the day. So like it seems obvious to me that like the first step would be awareness to be aware of like you, that the fact that you're doing that. But where do you go from there? You need to learn about what makes these young people tick, and you need to not take enjoyment from take from telling stories to your colleagues, uh, your peers, about the silly things that young people do or believe or think because um, you're not getting into their minds. At the end of the day, you're getting older and they're getting younger. And when I say they're getting younger, of course they're not getting younger, but they come in at 16 again and again and again. And then every year I'm 35 and 36 and 36, you know, like I'm getting older. (laughs) So the gap is getting wider. So I now have to take time. This is so weird because I don't think I'm old, but I have to take time to go, what do young people want? What motivates them? Like... What I've noticed is a lot of things that I used to dislike young people for have kind of gone on their team now. Like, I'm like, oh, you want, like, uh, you know, a better, more sustainable world where people talk about their feelings, where they consider each other's feelings when, you know, and, like, I don't know, like, you want to have more work-life balance and actually take a break. And, oh, you want to eat in the middle of the day? Actually, I like this. I could... You know, I've been resisting all of this for so long. And I'm like, maybe I'm not right. Maybe, maybe you don't know how to go about getting what you want out of this world. Maybe you're not creating the world yet. You're struggling making the dream, but you've got a dream. They have a dream and they are going to make that dream happen. And I, for one, don't want to end up being the 56 year old person whining about them. I'm going to join them. Even if sometimes I'm super like, well, that's never going to work. I think that sometimes, but they prove again and again that it does work eventually. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you think about it, like even just looking back at your career so far, everything you've put together and you've created, I'm sure came from a dream too, you know, like we all have our dreams that we go for. I think it's just maybe our approach, both individually and generationally, that differs. Um, Speaking of which, let's take a moment to uh, celebrate your seventh year in business with Not Another Salon. Congratulations. Um, I hear that you've made it to the point where you've managed to lead your London-based team from Ibiza for two months. So beyond everything that we've talked about, today, what would you consider to be the biggest business or leadership lessons that allowed that or have been instrumental in the process of allowing you to do that? What Again, what an excellent question. I think you are the my favorite interview I've ever had, Zoe. Um, okay, three. Okay. Um, so the first thing I think is making sure that you have a manager that really has your back. And I'm talking about when, I don't know, when there's maybe a little bit of gossip going on in the staff room or whatever, and that manager walks in, are they going to turn a blind eye? Are they going to agree? <laughs> are they going <laughs> to say, oh, I know, but mm, you know what she's like, it'll be okay. Or are they going to say, hey, you know what, maybe in here isn't the right place for this conversation. If you're struggling, come yeah. in the office, let's have a conversation, um, you know, like, let's work this out. So I think... The big thing I've noticed, and as I was very clear with this manager I have now, is that I'm not going to notice a toxicity festering because I'm not on the ground as much as you, but you will, and you can help that root level by not uh, 
um, allowing that to happen. And I don't mean being strong about it. I just mean noticing, recognizing, and trying to get to the root of their problems. Because nine right. times out of 10, if someone is bitching, it's just something that they probably do need to say to their manager. They just don't, you know, they haven't got the guts to go yet, or maybe yeah. they feel like they won't be listened to. Um, so yeah, I would say really good manager is the first reason why <laughs> I managed to live in Ibiza. Because uh, he is amazing. Second reason, I would say um, my tendency as an early business owner was to um, I, uh, over mother people. I had like right. quite a savior complex with everyone. I had people that, um, I had people with drug addictions. I had people with not great parents. I had someone that had run away from home just with a Sainsbury's carrier bag. Um, I had, a, a, um, I used to call them my misfits, a real variety of people that kind of didn't really fit the mold. And with that, they had a, a lot of things that needed looking after. And I felt that was my responsibility. And now I have much better boundaries on what is my business and what isn't my business. Mm -hmm. um, and I support people, I mentor people, I, I help them, but ultimately I don't make any decisions and I don't even over guide them. Right. I just listen. I just listen and I let them make their own decisions because if you push someone into a decision uh, because you think it's right for them, if it doesn't go right, they only hate you for it. <laughs> so <laughs> making my team more autonomous and the fact that I'm very much leading from the back and it's their life and I, you know, I sit quiet until they ask me. I don't push my advice on them. It's when they ask mm -hmm. me has meant that they're so responsible. Like my team, they don't, they really don't need me. Like I'm busy all the time, just to clarify, but I don't really do a lot. I don't really do, I don't know what I do, but I, I, I must be doing something because I'm busy, but I don't have any responsibilities in the salon. I have no responsibilities for wages, for bookings, for like, I think the only thing I do, my only job in not the salon is mentorship. That's my only job. But you know and what? Mentorship takes a lot of time, you know? Yeah. Because it's all yeah. about like building that relationship with the person also and like understanding what they need and them understanding like what they're trying to, you know, get out of the relationship as well and like how, how you can grow. But you have to have some sort of closeness to, to be able to mentor someone. Yeah, I was just I was just saying this to someone and someone the other day in exactly the same position where they're like, oh, I want to come off the floor. I want to, you know, maybe like not do as many days, but, you know, we need the money or whatever. And I'm like, you're a business owner now. Like your job is not to do the job. Your job is to help them do the job. Mm -hmm. That is what you signed up for. Yeah. But people feel people feel more comfortable doing the job because it's what they've always known. Yeah. Doing the boss stuff is scary. It's new. But the, I don't know, doing a set of highlights, that feels comfy. <laughs> yeah. So so we, we have to stop doing the job and help people do their jobs. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like there was anything else that facilitated living abroad and leading your team remotely? Anything that I guess felt instrumental to your success in that way? Or were those the two main things? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, is that a few years ago, I went on a two week holiday. And when I came back, I said to my manager, okay, go on, what's gone wrong? You know, like similar thing, I presumed already, you know, we're talking about earlier, I presumed yeah, things yeah. must have gone wrong. <laughs> But I, I was right. And she got this list out and she started to read it. And when she was halfway through the list, I said, can you stop? I need to have a walk. I went for a walk. I cried at how much was on the list that had just screwed up. And then I came back and I said, okay, I'm ready for the second half of the list. And I'd only been away for two weeks. 
This time I go away for two months. I walk back and it's like I'd never left. Um, and honestly, I think a lot of that is about structure and systems and manuals and, <laughs> and, uh, and making a load of creative people actually have some solid things to work to. And that's what I, well, this is what I teach now in business. In fact, I know we're going to cover it, but the, the business course that I'm doing next year, a lot of it is about organization. Mm -hmm. And I hate organization. <laughs> and uh, apparently you're only supposed to teach things you love. And I'm about to stand on stage and at least a third of it is going to be about how to organize yourself. I'm literally teaching something I hate, which is what you're not supposed to do. But if I, the ADHD, dyslexic, chaotic, forgetful, clumsy, artistic, wild person that I am, can create a business structure that means... I don't really do anything except mentoring people, then, then it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I am proof. It is possible. Um, and that's why I want to teach people. That's what I want to help people with. That's amazing. Well, you, you kind of, you, you created the perfect segue because the next question that I had was essentially about <laughs> your education. And obviously, um, for anyone wanting to attend any of your live education next year, uh, you're going on tour. You're going to be at the Salon Owner Summit on January 8th and 9th. Um, but then you're going on tour with your own education. So would you mind sharing, you know, what cities you'll be in, what dates, what, I guess, a bit of an insight as to what you're going to be talking about? Yeah, so it's called, not another business course, obviously, um, but the subtitle is Leadership for a New Life. So how do I lead in a better way that actually enriches my life and gives me a happier life? So less stress from people, less stress from time. My idea behind this is I, I don't think it's going to be like any other business course, obviously, I'm called not another. <laughs> I, want, um, I want an immersive experience. I want the lighting is going to be designed by a lighting designer. I want smoke machines. I want emotion. I want videos that are going to make you cry. I want activities that are going to make you laugh. I want you to feel. I want you to leave with a workbook that's like full of things and ideas of what you're going to do and what you're going to change. And I, I really want it to make lasting change. In fact, I'm actually going to do an accountability webinar uh, a few months later. Mm -hmm. to make sure that people have put in place what we've discussed. But be prepared. I'm very intense. You might know this. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 if I don't make at least half the people cry, I'll be so disappointed. Because in order to make change, we have to evoke emotion. We have to really feel it. And uh, I think this is going to be really, really something. So yeah, we, I'm actually going to be in Ireland like two weeks or a week after the event with Forrest. So that'll be in January. Then I go to Scotland in February and then London in March. So I'm sure all the links will be below. Yeah. And if you absolutely can't come in person, which is what I prefer you to do, because um, there'll be at least 100 people at per event, you can buy this online. And I will make sure it's as interactive as possible online that you'll still get that value. So I, I'm, this, I've been working on this for like, oh, realistically four years and like properly for about 18 months. Mm -hmm. So this is my life's work. This is, this is everything. This is all my pain <laughs> being transferred <laughs> into joy. And here it is for your delight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited to see how that goes. I'm going to be a few days short of missing you. I fly back to Montreal shortly after the summit. But if today's conversation is even just 10% of what it'll feel like to be in attendance, I promise, guys, get your tickets ASAP. You're in for a treat and lots, yeah. I mean, lots of learning moments. Sophia, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Such a joy. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Joey. And also thank you to Forrest as well. I, I, I didn't know much of you. And then as I started to discover more of you as a brand, I'm like, wow, you're huge. You're <laughs> everywhere. You do everything. So yeah, congratulations to you and to the brand. It's, uh, and you are literally the, like the most amazing person, like the best person to be interviewed by, like amazing. Oh, uh, well, thank you. That really, that really goes straight yeah. to the heart. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> It's Good. been it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll have all the links in the show notes, of course, for anyone wanting to to attend any of the events. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas holidays and we'll see you in January. All right. See you then. Bye bye, my love. Bye bye. Bye. If you didn't get a chance to take a note of the Not Another Business Course tour dates, here they are again. January 16 in Dublin, February 27 in Glasgow and March 13 in London. And just ahead of that, Sophia will be on stage not once, but twice at the Salon Owners Summit 2023, tackling workplace toxicity, branding, and MOT. For those with secured tickets, we'll see you on January 8th and 9th of 2023 at the Dublin Royal Convention Centre. Be sure to check out the jam-packed agenda for the two days, which is now available on our website at salonownerssummit.com forward slash the hyphen agenda. In addition to four speakers and Sophia Hilton, the full lineup includes Gino Stampora, the folks from Culture Curators, Jason Everett, Dennis Van Lierup, Jana Ronert, Tom Chapman, Liz Earl MBE, Roxy Nafusi, and David Lynch. Born with the Salon Owner in mind, the Salon Owner Summit, Forrest's flagship event, has been designed to give you the tools to tackle the year ahead while also having the most fun you can have at a business education conference. As for the current season of this podcast, this is the last episode to be aired before the new year, but season six isn't over just yet. The remaining end of year celebratory episodes will be coming your way in January. So stay tuned and thanks for listening to Forest FM. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch all the latest from the show and check out the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode. And if you've got any feedback, be sure to let us know. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly, sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.